Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coach and the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the coach and the crooner, Timberwolves podcast. Welcome, Twin Cities, to the Coach and the Culture podcast, where we talk Timberwolves basketball from the coach's perspective and throw in a little bit of coaching culture as well, and eventually talk about basketball from really around the state of Minnesota, uh, a little bit of high school, a little bit of college. My name is Coach Frank, uh, is what they call me, Frank Centuali, and I am a uh, coach on staff at Richfield High School, long time youth coach at every level from high school all the way down to the youth levels, uh, former college basketball player myself and uh, father of a former college basketball player. And I am the son of a former University of Minnesota basketball player. So three generations of basketball blood. And I love talking Timberwolves. And so you are tuned in to the coach and the culture. I got the super producer with me, super producer Lloyd Leon Cooper. What's happening, Coop? What's up, man? How you feeling? I'm doing well, doing well, man. Just uh, kicking back and uh, waiting for this fifth and perhaps final game of the NBA Finals to go down coming up here tomorrow night and uh and then getting ready for what promises to be a very interesting offseason in the NBA landscape the Denver Nuggets kind of reminding the NBA of some things teaching the NBA a valuable lesson and we'll get into a little bit of that in today's podcast uh as well as a little bit of talk about why I still feel like the Wolves um fully constituted uh, are probably one of the be- better matchups for the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference, as well as, of course, no podcast would be complete around uh, this particular off uh, season as we've just gotten it started uh, in the Wolves uh, world, not the entire NBA as the finals are still going on, but in the Wolves world, uh, no podcast would be complete without conversation about Carl Anthony Towns and the potential trade talks that are all over uh, the Twitter sphere uh, and my thoughts on the latest that I've heard or read on that. Uh, And then a little bit of upcoming draft talk. I am not one of those people who is a draft junkie and deep diving into the draft and prospects. I think if anything else, the Miami Heat are proving that the draft is um, great for fanfare, but there are top-notch professional quality basketball players all over the world and all over the United States. And uh, team building is a very interesting thing. And culture is a very interesting thing. But we will talk a little bit about the draft. The Wolves, of course, only have the 53rd pick. And as opposed to guessing who they might pick with such a pick so far down the line, Um, And it'll probably be somebody whose name is obscure to almost all of the casual basketball fans and followers. We'll talk more a little about what type of player I feel like the Wolves need to be looking for if they keep that pick at all. And then it has has been announced as agreed to play for the U.S. and the World Championships uh, coming up this August. 
And so I have some thoughts on that and how it might help and, and how it might help the Timberwolves as a whole. Uh, and then Rudy, uh, for, from, you know, all accounts right now, uh, looks like won't be playing for the French national team. Uh, not really any need to other than to just compete for a world championship. They've already qualified for the Olympics by, um, by, by the fact that the Olympics are in France this upcoming season. Um, and so we can talk a little bit about what Ant playing and Rudy not playing means. And then um, I'd like to finish off today's podcast with a little bit of just me trying to dive into the mind of Coach Finch and what he might be thinking about as he ponders uh, next season and uh, what his team, what he might need to do for his team as currently constructed and then uh how much input and information um, will he have possibly or what he want um, or what would be his wish list in terms of change uh, in the roster going into next season, including, of course, going back to the big change that a lot of people are speculating on, although there's no real traction. And I don't think it's going to happen, but there are reasons it could happen. And that's going back, of course, to the trade uh, cat trade conversation. So um, a full podcast, uh, but I think an interesting one up ahead. Um, So ride with us on the coach and the culture, Timberwolves and more basketball culture around the state of Minnesota podcast. Um, I I had mentioned that my prediction was going to be Denver and five, my man. And I know you're a big Miami Heat fan. I know that you were really uh, hoping that Jimmy Butler was going to, you know, take Miami's G League team and uh, whoop on the Western Conference champions the way he whooped on the defending Eastern Conference champions and and uh, the champions from two years ago, the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, they really have run the gauntlet. Um, well, I, I'm a more of a Jimmy Butler fan than a Miami Heat fan, but to your point, yes, I hope I was riding that wave, hoping that he would, uh, they would uh, knock the Denver Nuggets out in seven, though, because I do like, I mean, the Denver, you got to give them that credit. They're yeah. a basketball team. Really good. Very good basketball team. And, you know, I would have liked to see a seven-game series only because when the last game is over, that means the NBA season is completely done for 2022-2023 and that means um, there will be no more NBA basketball which is you know okay I can always vibe with the WNBA even though I think that the Lynx um, are going to have a really rough season and I absolutely cannot stand the way that roster is constituted love Cheryl Reeves the head coach of the Lynx Um, love talking um, you know the one time I got a chance to really talk basketball with her I really loved it um and I really think that she's an amazing coach. I think that um, I, I think that there's a lot of problems with this roster construction, and maybe there's a long-term plan I'm not aware of. But I will definitely be getting into that conversation as soon as the NBA Finals is done here uh, on our next podcast, possibly, because I do want to make sure we talk some Lynx basketball as we are into the WNBA season. But Denver in five because... This is what I have come to understand in my years of coaching youth basketball. We talked in previous podcasts that whether you are coaching sixth graders or whether you are coaching professionals and everywhere in between, 
the game of basketball and what wins in basketball and what loses and how teams win and lose doesn't really change. Coaches are all still trying to get the same basic things accomplished. It's just the higher you grow up in levels, um, obviously the stiffer the competition both in coaching and in playing and what they're trying to accomplish and how do you maximize your roster, right? It's all about maximizing the ceiling of your roster. And there's a couple of things that come into play. And this is why I felt like Denver um, was going to win in five is that I feel like Denver with the talent that they have has done a better job this particular year of maximizing their roster and being consistent in the style of play that they know they need to play in order to win basketball games. And that's also something else I've talked about in previous podcasts that I think people underestimate is that it's about being having a repeatable winning style, right? And that's what the Nuggets have. The Heat also have that. So what happens when you have two teams that have a discovered a repeatable winning style? Now with Denver, they've had this repeating winnable style all season long. With the Heat, it kind of really hit in the playoffs. That's why they were the eight seed. I mean, health is a part of that, right? But the other part of that is the consistency in repeating the same style that they need to play night in and night out that is more often than not going to lead to wins is what really a season is all about discovering, right? And so case in point, uh, probably the best team that I've ever coached, the best youth team I've ever coached, was not the most talented youth team. It was it was an eighth grade traveling team, right? And we had some guys that could wobble a little bit. Right? We had a guy that ended up uh, going out to uh, New York and playing Division two basketball, was a really quality high school basketball player. Uh, we had another kid that could really knock down the three, especially for an eighth grader. We had another kid that ended up, I think, competing in the state tournament in shot put, who as an eighth grader was about six one ish maybe, but just really muscular build. Um, and then we had a point guard that was quick with the ball, pretty right-hand dominant, but quick, uh, really pushed the tempo with the ball, uh, couldn't really shoot a three-point shot to save his life. Uh, but had a nice little six to eight foot game and could finish layups decent in the paint. Like, and then we had another guard that was kind of a combo guard that was, you know, when he was on was really good defensively and could make some plays for you offensively, knock down an occasional big shot. Like we had, we had a little bit of talent, right? And, um, and, and some guys that had gone to school together for a while. And I say this to say that we end up winning the state championship at our level. We end up getting hot at the end of the season in February, March, when it counted. But what we were able to do was find the style that we needed to play, that we could repeat game in and game out, that we knew if we play this style of basketball, it's going to be really tough for teams to beat us. And in fact, the only way you can beat us is if you are playing your style at the same level of mastery that we're playing our style and 
you just have more talent. And ultimately, that is what I get into when I talk about this Denver-Miami series and what I saw when I predicted that Denver would win in five. And it's not, you know, it's not like I made a prediction. I think most people pick Denver to win in five or six. Um, and most basketball minds did. Um, so I'm not saying anything that's like some, you know, revelation. I'm just expressing why I felt like that was going to be the case. And what you have in Denver and Miami are two teams that have maxed out their style with the personnel that they have. And so ultimately it just comes down to the personnel and Denver has better personnel. They have more things that they can do with their style than Miami can do with their style. Denver's Miami doesn't have a whole lot to combat Denver's strengths within their style of play, right? And so my thought was the only way Miami can win the series is if Miami plays four perfect games. I mean, perfect games. We're talking about turnovers under seven. We're talking about 40% or more as a team from the three-point line. We're talking about um, holding their own even on the boards, if not winning the rebounding battle. Like Miami would have to play the perfect game, all-out hustle hard for four games. And not only would Miami have to play perfect for four games, but at least two of those four games, Denver would have to play okay. Not really good, because I felt like if Denver plays really good and Miami plays perfect, Denver's still going to win. So Miami needed at least two of those four perfect games where Denver just played okay. And um, then Miami could win those two games, and then the other two are still 50-50. Right. That was my thought. So I was like, yeah, I don't really see Miami winning more than a game because I don't see Denver playing less than really, really well. One more than one time. Does that make sense? Like maybe Denver will play throw on one game where they just play. okay, And if Miami plays really, really well, they can win that game. But if Denver plays really well, I think a perfect Miami game isn't good enough to beat a really well played Denver game. And I think that's kind of how it's playing out. And the one game Miami won was a game that Denver didn't really play all that great, right? Um, not that they played bad. They just didn't play a championship caliber game from an effort and, 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 and grit and competitive, competitiveness standpoint. And that's exactly what Mike Malone called out at the end of game two was Denver's effort and grit. He's like, we just didn't play hard enough. We didn't play hard enough, right? And so that's why I predicted Denver in five. It wasn't even a knock on Miami. I just felt like all things considered, the matchup was so bad for Miami and Denver was not going to get sucked into Miami's game. Miami couldn't impose their stylistic will on Denver like they could a Boston team um, or even a Milwaukee team, which... You know, I felt like Milwaukee maybe wasn't 100% healthy uh, with all of their big guns on one hand. And then I felt like the Boston series, you know, that was all mental. Miami just mentally whooped on Boston. (laughs) And I just didn't feel like Miami was going to be able to impose their will on Denver. So I felt like all things were going to be even. And I felt like all things being equal, 
Miami could only beat Denver one game. Um, and that's just because Miami got too much heart to get swept. And that was my thoughts. Um, so that leads into, uh, something I want to talk about, uh, that I think about as a coach and what are your keys to being a dominant team? And this is all going to roll over into, um, a couple of things. One, why I think the Wolves were a good matchup for Denver if they're fully healthy. And two, why I think the Wolves can learn or look to Denver almost as a model going into next season because I see some things that are trending towards similar between Minnesota and Denver minus one really, really key component because, you know, I like to throw my teasers in there. So uh, going into what I think is important to being a dominant team and what can beat you when you're a dominant team, right? Because there's no question that Denver is a dominant team. And, you know, obviously personnel first and foremost goes into being a dominant team. You have to have dominant personnel. Well, Denver's got, you know, two-time MVP and Jamal Murray, who, um, you know, may have fallen off the national radar for two reasons. One, he plays in Denver. And then, of course, the injuries, right? And so people keep going back to Bubble Murray, Bubble Murray, Bubble Murray. And even I made this mistake because, you know, we talked about the bad takes that we made at the beginning of this um, podcast season back in November. And I was the idiot <laughs> that said I thought Denver might take a step backwards this year. Um, and it was very much quite the opposite. And I should have known better because what I underestimated was, um, I think, the second thing that you have to have in order to be a truly dominant team once you have personnel, which is continuity, right? And this is a word that all of a sudden, you know, we've been talking about it since since before the Wolves were knocked out by Denver. We talked about continuity being the biggest thing for the Wolves this season. And it's been a conversation all across podcasts. Um, if you're a Wolves fan or all across Twitter, uh, in the last few weeks, as people have watched what Denver has done through the rest of the NBA playoffs and really starting to recognize how good Denver actually is. But, uh, I was, I jumped on a tweet with, um, the athletics John Krasinski, who had said, you know, Denver's a really good team. And I was like, yeah, I've been trying to say the same thing is that, you know, people, I think when the Denver was whooping on the wolves were really kind of going, oh, well, it's the wolves and not really understanding that Denver's been the best team in the West pretty much all season. And they're really, 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 really good. And people underestimated them against Phoenix. They underestimated them against the Lakers. I never saw Phoenix being a challenge. I never saw the Lakers being a challenge because I just felt like Denver was that damn good. Because not only do they have personnel, but they have continuity. They have their style and the continuity gives them the style and the style gives them the continuity. Right. The fact that their main guys have been there now for quite a while with this head coach developing. This is our style, our identity, um, but not just identity, but our style within the identity. And that's what it takes to really be a dominant team is personnel and style and role development. Right. Which is all under style. Right. All under identity, role development. Right. Having those things make you dominant. So then you say, well, what can beat a dominant team? Another team that has those things that has more talent. That's it. 
I mean, uh, besides themselves. So if Denver, you know, Denver could pull, could have pulled a Boston and beat themselves. But again, they have something that Boston lost this year, which is continuity and the head coaches included. So, you know, I, you know, Danny Ainge just recently said something that, you know, Joe Mazzula was a better coach than Emeki, uh, Udoka or whatever. And I was like, yeah, well, he might be a better coach, but continuity matters. And the coach that you're saying is the lesser coach had his team in the finals and couldn't keep it in his pants and got fired. And then his replacement in one year did an excellent job of getting his team to the Eastern Conference Finals, but couldn't get them back over the hump into the finals. And I feel like if Udoka was still in Boston, Boston would be playing Denver right now. So again, continuity, consistency, style, that matters. And so the only thing Miami doesn't have that Denver has is talent per position that can match what Denver can throw at them, including what Denver can throw at them coming off the bench. And maybe a healthy Tyler Hero and a healthy Victor Oladipe makes a difference for Miami. But then that is the next thing that uh, I would add to the equation for Denver. uh, What makes a dominant team um, is health. You know, it's, it's, it's health. Right. Denver is the healthiest team outside of maybe Sacramento in the playoffs in the Western Conference. Denver was the healthy team, right? That had health, continuity, style definition, and talent. So that's why they look dominant moving through the West. They have all of the parts, right? And they're healthy. And this may be a different series if you have a healthy Victor Oladipo and a healthy Tyler Hero. Then now Miami can pose some problems for Denver that Denver has trouble answering, right? And so all of that leads to what is the last factor that can beat you when you have all the components is if you don't play as hard as the other team. I always tell my teams the first step, no matter what advantages or disadvantages that you are at in order to win a basketball game is you have to play as hard as or harder than the other team. And that's all Mike Malone was pointing out in game two of the series is that, you know, if we want to win this championship, the one thing you can't allow Miami to do is play harder than you. You have to at least at bare minimum match them sweat bead for sweat bead, effort for effort, anticipation for anticipation on the floor. And I think Mike Malone knew that if we do that, if you're Denver, we're going to be okay because we have advantages in all these other areas. Right. And so, um, that leads to why would, why do I feel like the wolves were a good matchup for Denver? You know, and I felt like the wolves from a personnel standpoint, were the team in the Western Conference probably most equipped, all things being equal, if the Wolves are healthy, to cause Denver problems in what they want to do offensively and create matchup problems for Denver defensively. I think that taking away Jaden McDaniels in the starting lineup and allowing Chris Finch to be able to 
have his 40% three-point shooting to keep the floor spaced, um, as well as having somebody that can keep Jamal Murray from ever really getting comfortable, as well as somebody that you can kind of use his size to, you know, help Jokic at the rim, make Jamal Murray have to take tougher shots, um, and then be a threat on the offensive end in transition and at the three-point line for what Denver does. Jaden McDaniels being gone was a huge piece on both ends of the floor because he gives Denver's best offensive perimeter weapon fits on one end because of his unique ability to move laterally, guard guards. Because let's be honest, Jamal Murray's strength is not speed and quickness. He's not a speed and quickness guard. He can shoot the piss out of the basketball and he can make tough shots. But if you've noticed, even in this Miami series, Miami has started to go with a little bit of um, blitzing coverage on Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic on the screen and roll. And Jamal Murray's having trouble turning the corner against Bam Adebayo, right? Well, Jaden McDaniels is a whole nother animal um, when they stretch Jamal Murray out than anything Miami can throw at him. You know, if they're stretching him out with, and if they're stretching him out with Cat and Jaden McDaniels, and then you got Joker um, sitting in, the, you know, as the release valve, so you have to rotate to, but then they're rotating, and the person that is now in rim protection is Rudy Gobert. That's a very different story than the person in rim protection being one of Miami's guards, wingmen, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, you know, those guys are not equipped for rim protection. Rudy Gobert is equipped for rim protection, right? And so Denver's bread and butter, which is their Jokic and Murray screen and roll, the Timberwolves can absolutely cause problems with over the course of a series if they're fully healthy. We saw them cause problems with it in the last couple games with um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, right? And, and, you know, people around here talking about the job that he did on Jamal Murray. Well, imagine if that's Jaden McDaniels and then Nikhil Alexander-Walker coming off the bench. You're giving Jamal Murray nightmares every second of the game, right? Um, And so, and then the other reason why I felt like the Wolves were best equipped matchup-wise to cause Denver problems is if Jaden McDaniels is now in your starting lineup and your whole starting lineup is healthy, that means you're coming off the bench with Kyle Anderson and Nas Reed. And Nas Reed against Jeff Green, I'll take that any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Nas Green, Nas Reed against Aaron Gordon. If Denver wants to play Aaron Gordon at the five spot, I'll take any day of the week and twice on Sundays. And then you still have the Ant problem if Ant is playing with the second unit. So now Aaron Gordon's got to be occupied with Nas Reed. Who's going to protect the basket if you're Denver? If you got Ant coming downhill one on one with already no shot blocker. And then the only big that you have back there is occupied with Nas Reed which is one of the reasons why Niners Reed averaged so many points against Denver during the regular season. And so um, from a personnel standpoint, a healthy Wolves team matches up extremely well with this Denver Nuggets team. So then you go to the other separating factors. Continuity is why I think Denver might still win a six or seven game series against a healthy Wolves team 
But if the Wolves developed a style, much like Miami has throughout the playoffs, during a series against the Denver, a healthy Wolves team that is repeatable, which is something the Wolves struggle with all season because Cat was missing pretty much almost all season. When Cat came back, you got new personnel. You got a new starting point guard. So, again, that goes back to continuity and so on and so forth. But, you know, I give the Wolves a puncher's chance, if not more, healthy against this about-to-be-world-championship Nuggets team because of those factors we talked about. Um, Style makes fights, right? Well, the Wolves have the personnel to combat Denver's personnel. Denver's more consistent because of their continuity, right? And if the Wolves can get that consistency and continuity, they could be a problem. They could have been a very serious problem in these playoffs and changed some narratives. Obviously, it's, it's you know, if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk, the old saying goes, right? Um, because the reality is they were injured and we'll never know. But from a coaching standpoint, I can see why if you're the Timberwolves brass, you're thinking, man, whew, we got to run this back because we are building something that has a continuity possibility similar to what Denver has. And we have elite personnel and we just have to build that repeatable style. And that's what Rudy Gobert is talking about when he's talking about repeatable habits. Denver could run the same play 10 times in a row and they have a counter to every defense that every defensive action that you would run for that same play 10 times in a row and they know that counter second nature without even having to think about it so one of the reasons Jokic is so amazing as a passer is because him and his teammates are on the exact same page with everything that they see and without even thinking about it knowing what the counter is and knowing where everybody's going to be and supposed to be and when Rudy Gobert is talking about we have to build better habits that's one of the things that I think he's talking about. And when Chris Finch is talking about building habits and needing continuity, that's what you see in Denver that is so um, beautiful to watch, right? Yes, Nikola Jokic is a phenomenal basketball player who right now has the keys to a fine-tuned automobile machine that he knows and all the other components know every button, every action that's going to necessitate whatever reaction, uh, every anticipation, they're all on the same page. And that's what I think the Wolves can look to Denver and say, yeah, if we can understand each other the way that team understands each other, we feel like we have more talent than they do. And I would agree. I would agree, uh, Coop. I would I would absolutely agree. I mean, can, should we do a rundown personnel, man? Let's, let's, can we do a starting five and off the bench rundown personnel for personnel with Denver and Minnesota right now if everybody's healthy? And I'll just ask you, Coop, as, as the casual fan, you know, who do you think you would give the advantage to if we do a rundown personnel for personnel, let's say top eight rotation if everybody's healthy, right? Just talent-wise. You, you with me on that, man? Uh, let's try. All right. So 
I want to go a little bit of cross matching, right? I don't want to go position for position. Um, I want to do some cross matching because I think that's only fair, right? So let's look at the dominant guards for each team, right? Uh, Jamal Murray, Anthony Edwards, who would you take? That's powerful. Well, let me ask you this. Who do you think is easier to take out of the equation for the other team? Not saying it's easy by any means to take either one of them. I'm just saying, you know, out of two beasts, (laughs) which of the two beasts do you think you could probably game plan to slay if you're Denver's personnel or Minnesota's personnel all healthy? Well, let me give it to you like this. Let, let, Let me put it to you like this. If you have Jaden McDaniels guarding Jamal Murray, and we know what Jaden McDaniels can do defensively and the problems that he has caused Jamal Murray throughout the regular season, who do you have on Denver's roster on the wings that could give Anthony Edwards the type of problems that Jaden McDaniels can give Jamal Murray? Well, what position Porter is playing now? Uh, he can probably give up. Well, he's more than like 33 and 4. Given what we know about Michael Porter Jr.'s defense, I'm not even talking about body type. I'm talking about their player type. Do you think Michael Porter Jr. could do anything with Anthony Edwards? No. Okay. So do you think that Jamal Murray defensively could do anything with Anthony Edwards? No. Okay. So do you think that uh, Caldwell Pope could do anything with Anthony Edwards? Okay. That's okay. Okay. Because okay. he's not known for his defense either. Don't get me wrong. Denver is putting in the effort on defense, right? Yes. They're putting in the effort on defense. But some players you can put effort in on, and it don't matter, right? right? Because they were putting effort in on defense against the Wolves in the five games they played, and what an average thirty, uh-huh. right? So. So that's why I say when you think about it, Jamal Murray, Anthony Edwards, personally, I'm giving the advantage to the Wolves, which isn't to say, you know, Jamal Murray's not going to get his 25 against Minnesota, even with Jaden McDaniels covering, maybe, maybe not. But I know that Edwards is going to get his 30 against Denver, no matter who they have. Right? You see where I'm getting at? So then you say, okay, so then let's go to the other guard spot. Uh, Caldwell Pope, Mike Conley. Conley, for sure. Okay. So then you go to the small forward spot, and you got Michael Porter and Jaden McDaniels. Now, think two-way player now. Think think both ends of the floor. McDaniels. Okay. And I would call that a push. I would say, say, you know, well – Player for play, yeah, I would I would call it a push. I would say that McDaniel's defense for me gives it an even up, right? I, I, there was a great conversation between uh, Britt Robson and Dane Moore on the Dane Moore uh, NBA podcast. Uh, I believe it was this week. I believe it was Thursday, in which um, Britt made a great comment. He said that um, Jay McDaniel's actually 
at the three spot is more what Denver needs right now for how they play. Not that they need anything, obviously, but that Jaden McDaniels on Denver's team makes a whole lot of sense where Michael Porter Jr. on the Wolves team, you know, it could work, but it doesn't help the Wolves as much as Jaden McDaniels being on Denver's team, especially in this final series against a team like Miami helps Denver. But I would, I would, I would give them uh, a push. You say McDaniels, um, Aaron Gordon, Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, that's a push to me. That's a push to you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would give Towns a slight edge, but um, Aaron Aaron's size and his mobility. Could give him, you know, give him some some trouble. Yeah, and I think you know, I I, I would give Towns a side edge as well. Um, I don't think they guarded each other a lot because the Timberwolves used Towns to guard Jokic quite a bit, and then let Rudy kind of be the help support. Um, and but I, you know, when Towns does like he did in the second half of Game Five. And in game four, where he just attacks the basket, there's nothing Aaron Gordon can do with him. He's just too big. Um, but we also know Town struggles posting up against Gordon. And that's something the Wolves tried early in the series, and that wasn't working. And then when Towns kind of went to the perimeter and just started driving and attacking, he just was kind of getting wherever he wanted, um, especially in the second half of game five and then uh, big parts of game four as well. But, you know, I would say you got an all-NBA player in Towns, two-time all-NBA player, and you got Aaron Gordon, who's a very, very good player and an outstanding athlete, but I don't think he's on Towns' level. I think he has done a great job of maximizing his role in this Denver system, this continuity that they have. Um, but then, and of course, you know, obviously, we go to the last one, go bear Jokic, and I, I don't think, he, you know, I'll just let you say, Jokic. Right, Jokic, right, <laughs> right. I mean, I don't think anybody in their right mind would disagree there. Advantage Denver in a big way, right? Right. But is there a team equipped to guard Jokic that is better equipped to guard Jokic than this current version of the Wolves, right, with Townsend Gobert? Because the game that Denver lost, the game four that Minnesota won, or um, – Yes, Jokic went off for 43. He took a whole lot of shots to get there. And Minnesota won, right? And even the game five, um, you know, Jokic still had big numbers when it's all said and done, but I think he had to take 27 shots to get there. And Jokic's lowest field goal percentage, lowest rebounding numbers um, of the playoffs – and lowest overall scoring numbers of the playoffs were against the Wolves. So although no one has had any answer for Jokic in the playoffs, the team that did the best on him is the Minnesota Timberwolves, right? And so that's just in the starting five. And then coming off the bench, you know, Bruce Brown, Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson. I get out of push, personally. You say Anderson, I say push, but I think the argument could be made either way. Um, 
I say push because what Bruce Brown does is electric for Denver. What Kyle Anderson does is vital for Minnesota. They're very different in the way that they play, but I think their impact on their teams are probably about equal from an off-the-bench role, even if you would say Kyle Anderson has more responsibility. I think the impact is about equal. Uh, then I would say Jeff Green, Nas Reed. Yeah, I mean, you know, Nas Reed destroyed Jeff Green and everything else Denver threw in front of him during the regular season. And I think in a playoff situation, I think a healthy Timberwolves team is salivating at the moments where Jokic goes to the bench and the Timberwolves can run Nas Reed and Towns or Nas Reed and Gobert out there at Denver and just let Nas Reed run rough shot all over the small guys for Denver. Because one thing Nas Reed does do is he destroys smaller players. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then you got Christian Brown, Brown, uh, the rookie, and Nikhil Alexander Walker. Uh, plus, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I would say that you know, obviously, Nikhil Alexander Walker was forced to make a bigger impact. So we, we, you know, we, we. In our in Timberwolves land, we say, oh, well, that should be easy. No, right? All day. But at the end of the day, Nas' role changes if the Timberwolves are completely healthy. Um, how many minutes he plays might change. And I think his impact probably would be about equal to Christian Brown's impact um, if they were playing around the same minutes, if they were kind of both that eighth man coming off the bench, right? And so we had that conversation, and we pretty much, I think, agreed that um, if you cross-match with the guards a little bit, that we would take Ant over Murray. Um, we would take um, uh, Conley over uh, Caldwell Pope. We would, you know, you said McDaniels over Porter. I say push. Uh, we both give Cat the slight edge over Aaron Gordon, and then Jokic gets the edge. Right. And then six man, you say Kyle Anderson. I say push with him and Bruce Brown. Then I say Nas Reed in a big way advantage over Jeff Green, which almost offsets the Jokic advantage offensively over Gobert. Right. And then, and then if we say Nah and Christian Brown's a push, um, not we're, you know, we're talking talent wise slight edge to Minnesota potentially, you know, just in that conversation. And I don't think what we're talking about is far-fetched. I think if you talk to any basketball expert, they probably, you know, when you take the emotion of whether they like a player out of it or not and just talk about their basketball skill and what they bring to the table, you say, yeah, you know, that sounds about right. You know, and so the continuity thing then becomes a major factor and the health things becomes a major factor. But if Denver is on the cusp of becoming the NBA's world champions, and we can sit here and say that this roster as constituted talent-wise, probably a fully healthy, maybe a little bit better than the Denver Nuggets. But of course, Denver looks 10 times better, okay, four games to one better because of health and continuity, right? Yes. Then, then you say, okay, well. I'm definitely going to say continuity. Oh, no, Absolutely. And that's the big difference maker, right? And and having and part of continuity is, again, Denver has a style of play that they feel like 
you have to have personnel that can out talent us and then still be able to match our level of focus and comfortability in our continuity and in our style in order to beat us. And then you got to have the heart to fight, right? We know the Wolves had the heart to fight. We know they didn't have health. We know they didn't have continuity. And we know they didn't have their uh, style identity, right? But talent, acquiring talent is the hardest part, right? When you say acquiring talent is, 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 is the hardest part for an NBA team. So now you have the talent. Now you have to get the rest of it figured out, right? And that then leads us into cat trade talk conversation. Right. And, and, and I don't want to get into the, all the different, you know, fan perspective trades and speculative trades that have been thrown out about cat to New York, and cat to Portland, and, you know, cat to Boston, and, you know, cat everywhere. And some people are just like send cat anywhere, which I think is asinine, but you know, um, you know, they just they want to trade him for you know a can of peanuts and a and a Pepsi. I was like, come on, y'all, y'all going overboard with your emotionality a little bit. Y'all need to calm down. This dude is an All NBA caliber basketball player. That's a basically a walking twenty five and ten, you know, or close to it. You know, depending on how he's used. So let's just slow down on the what cat isn't and keep in perspective what cat is. Right. And he's what, 27 or about to be 27. So come on, y'all, let's just take a chill pill on the cat hate because we have something very special here. Now, where I do understand where people are coming from in this cat trade talk conversations is, you know, the new collective bargaining agreement and the new salary cap rules, uh, which, again, listen to Dane Moore. Uh, NBA basketball or Dane Moore NBA podcast. Uh, listen to Ben Beacon, Locked On Wolves. Uh, I, I'm not sure what they're doing on Flagrant House with the salary cap conversation with Kyle Tige and company. But um, all I'm saying is I'm not a capologist. I'm not overly interested. I look at it from a coach's perspective. What's my personnel? Let's figure out how to win games all that front office and macro stuff in terms of the team construction and how the money plays a role in it. It's not my area. Um, that's why this is called the coach and the culture. Cause I'm the coach. I coach talent. I don't know about all that other stuff, except to say, I do understand that, um, you know, cat Supermax is going to kick in after this season. And, um, I also understand that, Trading cat becomes more difficult depending on what happens uh, with his health and what type of season he puts together after his super max kicks in. Although um, I do agree, Dane Moore brings up a good point when he says, but every other team is in the same situation with especially the teams with big super max caliber stars. And then what starts to really play a role I think in trade conversations is what large contracts are expiring right 
and and then it does become about roster development as much as it does money. And from that standpoint, um, I as much as I would hate to see Cat traded this year because I really do want to see what happens if this team develops continuity, they develop their style identity with the talent that they have. And I know a lot of people are, oh, the two big things can never work or it won't work or I can't see how it will work. And as a basketball coach, I think that is hogwash. I think if you, you've never coached basketball if you don't see how – it can work. And I know Charles Barkley likes to rip on it and talk about what teams are doing in today's NBA, but I still contest that if this Wolves team is healthy, they give Nikola Jokic fits. They give Denver fits if this team is fully healthy and Denver is about to win the world championship. So don't tell me that it can't work because coaches don't think something can't work. Coaches think, Let's figure out the riddle and how we can make sure that it works. And then how can we communicate that and translate that to our players so they develop confidence in a style that if they repeat it over and over and over again, that maximizes their talent and therefore their ceiling. And then those players feel like if we just do our thing, can't nobody fuck with us because we have things they can't fuck with. And that's how coaches Think and how we want to be able to get our players to think that's the job of a coach. And so I really would like to see this thing run back um, and see if health doesn't allow them to find that rhythm and that style of play. Again, that repeated is like you can know what's coming, but you can't stop it because you don't have what we have. And we know what we have and we know how to use it now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and then it's just a matter of effort, right? And if we use it with effort, you don't have the talent that if you play your perfect game with your talent and you play hard and we play our perfect game with our talent and we play hard, we're going to beat your ass because we got more talent. We have more advantages. And I think that's what the Wolves had in mind when they put this together. Um, But then the salary cap changes are real. And the new collecting uh, collective bargaining agreement is real. And I find it hard to believe that the front office didn't have some rumblings of what is going to happen last summer when they made this go bear trade with the collective bargaining agreement. I just don't think you can be that wired in and not be able to speculate that, okay, this is what's going to go down a year from now. So if this goes down, how do we make sure that we maximize our young stars who we know we're going to have to invest in to be here for the next four to six years? That's Anthony Edwards and Jade McDaniels. And so this is where it, where as much as I have been anti cat trade talk and run it back, run it back, run it back. This is where I feel like maybe the Wolves know some things that everybody else doesn't know and that maybe people should just let it all play out, like almost like a trial, like in the court of law. Like, you know, uh, Coop, how people were talking about how the Rudy Gobert trade was so horrible and the Timberwolves gave up so much. And, and, and Crooner and I, when we first started this, both were adamant that we didn't see it that way. And now all of a sudden the conversations I'm hearing on podcasts is, well, D'Angelo Russell was the worst max player in the history of max players in the playoffs. And, uh, and Patrick Beverly had the worst career of 
you know, that he's career lows in so many of these categories. And Malik Beasley couldn't even get on the floor during the playoffs. And Jared Vanderbilt was played off the floor during the playoffs. And about the only thing that the Timberwolves really um, gave up now is Walker Kessler in the draft picks. And, um, you know, Walker Kessler, we'll see, you know, how that turns out. Um, but as far as the draft picks, well, so far, the first draft pick is outside the lottery, which is, you know, you don't want to be a team that is, you know, spinning your wheels, constantly spinning your wheels. So now you got, you know, you got if, if the Wolves had the same season, uh, which I don't think they would if they had made the trade with Cat getting hurt. But let's just say all things being equal, they had the same season. So you're drafting 16th, right? So you're almost in the same position anyway. And then next year you have your draft pick. So what did we talk about at the beginning of the season? Those draft picks, although maybe as a fan you can say, well, we need it. We could have used those draft picks to leverage to get somebody better than Rudy Gobert, right? And so it remains to be seen how good Gobert is for the next three years. The verdict is going to be out year after year on that. But at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know. Coop, would you be excited about the 16th pick in the draft? No. Exactly, right? So, so so far, what have they given up? Walker Kessler, right? So far, it's turned out that, you know, the worst thing that's happened so far from the Rudy Gobert trade is Timberwolves made the playoffs in a season in which Cat missed 52 games because they had Rudy Gobert as their other center, who's also, you know, a former All-Star. So they still made the playoffs, even though Cat got hurt for two thirds of the season, and they've given up a 16th pick in the NBA draft and some players that clearly were not going to help them advance in the playoffs this year because they didn't help the teams that they went to advance very far. You know, if you want to count the Lakers, but you know, guy named LeBron James and Anthony Davis might have more to do with where they got to than anything else. It's a good fortune. So, um, you know, so. You got Cat, you know, people want Cat to be traded. And, you know, maybe if you're the Timberwolves front office, maybe you're thinking this collective bargaining agreement thing is going to create some changes. And we're not a major market and we don't lure big free agents. And if we have Anthony Edwards, we need a defensive minded, rim protecting, stabilizing center to Kimbe Mutombo to Allen Iverson. Right. Um, and we're going to lose cat and we might not need another big man that's going to dominate or need to dominate offensively as we move forward with Ant and then therefore Ant and Jaden. But we are going to need a defensive anchor at the center position. So if this all goes down and we have a couple year run with it, if all goes well, Maybe we find ourselves in the finals or the conference finals in the, in this two year experiment. And if it doesn't go well or doesn't go the way we want and financially we're forced to trade cat, at least we already have our anchor in place. And now we can look to trade cat for assets that are going to supplement Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels and Rudy Gobert. And you can still stay highly competitive and depending on Ant's rise, championship level competitive. If you have those three guys and then you can trade cat for two starter level players and maybe even recoup a couple draft picks 
to supplement those three guys a couple years down the line. All of a sudden, they look really freaking brilliant. If you're forced to trade Cat and you get a quality point guard and a quality uh, power forward and a couple draft picks back, and you're going into 23-year-old, you know, year four, year five, uh, Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, and then you got Rudy Gobert as your veteran anchor center um, that you can build your defense around. How's that sound to you, brother, man? Play to me, bro. Sound like a song. Right? So, you know, and on, then all of a sudden, the Rudy Gobert trade looks genius. Because where else, if you have to trade Cat, where else are you going to get that quality of defensive presence, right? Yeah. So now you don't have to worry about shoring up the center position. And, you know, maybe you have, maybe you do trade Cat and maybe you get a top notch elite level point guard or a top, you know, or a top notch power forward that fits the mold of how you want to play around and, um, a little bit differently, if not better than Cat, um, you know, and and don't have to get caught in that quagmire of you know paying Cat fifty million, paying Rudy forty five million, and then Ant's max kicking in, and you know Jaden's contract kicking in <clears throat> for more than a year. You know, maybe you maybe you make that trade and get some expiring salaries and keep yourself under the salary cap and still stay extremely uh, under the luxury tax and still stay extremely competitive. Um, Would that be easier to do this year? Yes. And I guess I finally come around to if the right combination is there, if the right combo, the right trade is there this summer, as much as I hate to shake it up, because I feel like what they have is better than I think what most people feel like they have. Um, you got to pull the trigger on it because they're going to have to do something. If not this summer at the trading deadline or next summer anyway. Um, but also at the same time, if they truly feel like our starting five talent for talent, um, plus, you know, if they feel like our, our top six coming back, if you include slow-mo in that talent for talent, uh, is as good a starting five, starting top six that we have in the league, um, then you got to run it back for one more year and hope for health. And and I think health will bring continuity with this group. And this group with continuity and health going into the playoffs is, I think, a scary proposition for a lot of teams. Um, And so, you know, I think if anything that we can learn from this Denver team, if you're the Wolves, is uh, this is what it looks like when you have guys and a coach that have talent, that have developed their style, that have stuck together for a few years. And, you know, Miami's style is not going to change no matter who the personnel is because that's their culture. They've been developing that style since Pat Riley got there. You can go back to Alonzo Morning Days, right? And Denver has been working on this since Mike Malone got there and since they lost the play, you know, game 82 to determine who went to the playoffs in the Jimmy Butler year uh, here in, in Minnesota. So, you know, it, again, it's, it's the talent. I mean, it's the continuity piece 
Um, because I think the Wolves showed in that series against Denver that they're willing to play hard enough and that they're willing to play with enough heart, which is something that had times have been questioned uh, about this team. But I don't think you can watch game four and five against Denver and question their heart. Um, and so, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think there's arguments for trading cat that I finally come around to most of it money related and then I still stand by, I'd like to see this team build continuity and find that rhythm, that style with the talent that they have and see what that looks like going against other NBA teams um, next season and into the playoffs next year. Because there's no doubt in my mind that if they stay healthy next year, they make the playoffs and they're, you know, I think they're fighting for uh, home court in the first round of the playoffs. Um. So we'll see. So, you know, I but I, I do think that whether they trade Cat or don't trade Cat, they're kind of in a win-win situation this season. And that situation does change when Cat's uh, contract kicks in next season um, in terms of the ability to trade Cat. It really becomes disastrous if Cat gets hurt, right? Or if he just, for whatever reason, has a crappy season. But I think even if Cat were to have a crappy season at $50 million, you know, you could still get yourself a quality point guard, a quality role player, and one, if not two, first-round draft picks for Cat, and that would be selling low, in my opinion. Um, And how you define quality, to me, quality might not necessarily be all-star, but somebody that can play a pivotal role on a contending team built around Ant and Jaden with Rudy as a defensive anchor if Ant and Jaden continue to develop. Um, you feel where I'm coming from on that? Yes, sir. And consistency. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It, it all goes back to that continuity and consistency. It, it really does. And that's what Denver and Miami are showing is that team concept, not superstars, teams uh-huh. that can play with continuity still win. Basketball has not changed so much that that doesn't win. Now, when you have superstars that play with continuity, now you have, you know, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron James, Miami Heat, you know, in year two. Because remember, in year one, they didn't win it. Dallas beat them. What did Dallas have that Miami didn't have? Continuity. Talk to me. Right? Style. A repeatable style and continuity. Right, that if they just did their thing at a high level, Miami's talent couldn't overcome it. It was, it was, it it caused LeBron to go into a shell. He couldn't figure out the riddle. And then the next year, year two, Miami's got that continuity. Right, right, and look what happens. Right, so, um, you know that I just don't think that. You know, basketball doesn't change that much. And it can't be understated that, you know, the two teams standing are the two teams that have had the most consistency and continuity, uh, you know, over the past couple of years while all the other teams have made these major changes. The only team that didn't make a major change that was in the final four was Boston, but they had a major change that was forced upon them because their head coach was a major change at the beginning of the season unexpectedly. And then of course LeBron James is always the cheat code. So the Lakers get some good fortune and end up getting swept in the conference finals by Denver. So, you know, again, goes back to that 
continuity piece that I think a lot of Timberwolves fans just aren't considering how significant that piece is when they are evaluating um, the Timberwolves season, what happened, what didn't happen, and that continuity piece very rarely, in my opinion, happens in one season. Um, one win, even though it's one win, I says it says volume, if, even for Miami Heat, that they could pull out a a win against the Denver Nuggets, in which uh, the uh, conversely the Lakers could not with yeah. LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis. Davis, right? And so again, so and what did the Heat have that the Lakers didn't have? That that continuity, that trust, that this is our style of play, and they tried. The Lakers tried to get it, you know. They, they really did try to create a defensive identity, you know. But they were still, I feel like the Lakers were still trying to amoeba to the teams that they were playing against. How do we have to play to beat this particular team from series to series to series, right? Where again, a team like Denver, a team like Miami, they don't have those questions. They're not going to change how they play per the team that they're playing. They might make some adjustments schematically, um, you know, subtle things here and there, but for the most part, their style, their identity is going to stay consistent. And that's why those are the two teams that are standing. Um, And then again, you're just seeing the talent of Denver being more than the talent of Miami. Let's close up the show there, man. You know, I love talking Timberwolves hoops. We could, talk for hours and hours but i want to try to keep the podcast to a minimum um when we record our next pod coop uh i think let's talk a little bit about the impact of rudy not playing in the world championships if it still remains that that's the decision that he's going to make and then what his summer development could and perhaps should look like and then let's talk about uh coach finch and his prospects on or what he might be i'm sorry not his prospects but what he might be thinking about um, including a little bit of nugget from uh, John Krasinski's athletic article that he did with uh, Coach Finch or on Coach Finch as he starts to prepare what style of play you're going to see out of this team for next summer. Uh, so I think those will be some good things to talk about. And then, yes, yeah, still continuing to work on some guests. Uh, the high school AAU season is going to start winding down here Uh as we start to move toward the end of June and into the dead period. So maybe I'll see if I can get one of my high school coaching buddies on and talk a little bit about that on the next pod as we continue to build toward having guests. But, you know, I want to get off this internet thing when we have guests and get back into a uh, live in person for our guests. Coop, Cause that's always the best. If you ask me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wait so you've been listening to you. What's that? So it's always a good good energy when it's uh, in person. Absolutely, absolutely. You've been listening to the Coach and the Culture podcast. I am Coach Frank, as they call me, Frank Santuali. We got the super producer, uh, Lloyd Coop, uh, making sure that everything gets uh, put together and sounds beautiful by the time it hits the uh, podcast networks. Uh, thank you for listening to the Coach and the Culture. As always, hit us up on Twitter at Coach Crooner or hit me up on Facebook, the Coach and the Culture. 
uh, and let me know your feedback because we are trying to improve one podcast at a time. Any parting words, Coop? Hey, go heat. <laughs> Don't say go heat to end the Timberwolves podcast. I would like to heat to win one more game, if not two more games, too. I want to see all kinds of NBA Finals ball, but I, I got bad news for you, bro. Yeah, man. <laughs> The, the, fat, the fat lady ain't singing, <laughs> but uh, she's definitely done her warm-ups. <laughs> All right, people. Thank you for listening, party people. This is the Coach in the Culture. Peace. Peace.